So read good news. Today, March 10th, when we're recording, is National Ranch Dressing Day. Is that on our health observance calendar? We posted on social media today. I feel like Hidden Valley, they were at a, a conference and they had somebody from Hallmark come speak. And they were like, listen, guys, this is how you own a day. And then Hidden Valley was like, you know what? We're going to take this for a spin. I mean, who doesn't like ranch? Ranch is having such extensive product extensions. Think about Doritos, Cool Ranch. That's a great product extension. That's fine. That makes sense. Today, they are launching Hidden Valley Ranch ice cream. Oh, God. The press release indicates that these limited edition pints promise to deliver, quote, the savory flavors of ranch, including buttermilk, flavorful herbs, and a touch of sweetness. Are you asking for this? Like, why? Why? Well, what's the point? The point, as always, Reed, is to sell more ranch dressing. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 322 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm just sipping a cup of coffee here with some ranch dressing creamer. Go to Starbucks. I need two shots of ranch in that. uh, (laughs) Yeah. God, it's terrible. Uh, well, here we are, another week, another episode, number 322 on the list. So thank you one and all for joining us. Thanks for, uh, if this is your first time, welcome. If you're back for yet another week, thank you for coming back. We certainly appreciate the support. We got a good one today. Before we talk a little bit about that and get into the interview, a uh, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can find out more about the show, Chris or I, other episodes, topics, all that kind of fun stuff. But while you're there, you'll notice up in the top navigation something called the TPS report. You give us your name, your email address. We give you one email a week. That's it. One email, Monday mornings, five articles to start your week. Hopefully, it's a little value add for you as you uh, kick off each work week. So we do take a couple off throughout the year, holidays, that kind of thing, and promise not to spam you with a a whole bunch of other really important offers. So literally, that's all it is. So (laughs) we'll pause here, let you you do that, and then be back to uh, uh, set up today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation 
that performs for you. So a little different format today, Reed. We're going to feature almost exclusively throughout the show an interview I had with one of our first guests on the Touchpoint podcast. Was he our first guest? He may have been the actual first guest. I think he was. He was guest number one, and that's Matt Gove. We all know Matt. Probably heard him speak. He's very, very influential in our space. He's also very opinionated, I would say. And he's currently the chief marketing officer at CityMD and Summit Health. Yeah, we met him uh, again some years ago when he was in Atlanta at Piedmont as the chief consumer officer there and then has, just like you said, been a very influential voice in the space um, at all the different conferences and pushing great ideas, pushing back against bad ideas or or, or really just any idea, you know, challenging people on, on kind of their thoughts. And I thought the opportunity for today and, you know, the conversation that y'all had looking at kind of innovation in the space and consumerism and kind of where the industry is headed, he's an interesting one to, you know, kind of get his thoughts around that. Having had been at a health system, big community, big town, you know, meaningful health system with with all kinds of different access points to then most recently and currently at an organization that is more focused, you know, on the physician side of the equation, I guess, clinic side of the equation, you know, up in New Jersey, New York. And so anyway, both real meaningful markets, different models uh, between the two of them. I think, you know, obviously he's got some great things to say and we won't belabor the point, but excited to, for everybody to get to hear a little bit from Matt and we'll let him uh, pontificate for a bit and uh, then we'll be back to wrap up the show. All right, I'm really excited today to have an intimate conversation with one of the first guests on our podcast way, way back when, Matt Gove who is joining us today. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at CityMD and Summit Health. Matt, I'm excited to talk to you today. Welcome back. Yes, I'm pretty sure I was first. And because, and you guys did a poll, who is your favorite guest after that first, I don't know, first year, first couple of months, whatever it was. And because I stuffed the ballot box, I won that as well. I am... Arguably the most popular guest on the Touchpoint podcast. I'm just saying. And you've been on a number of times since then, and you're one of my favorite guests. And that's because your ideas are very much uh, industry changing. And it, it, you kind of have illustrated that with your career. So for people that may not have gone back to that first episode, which they really should, because it's a really great one. <laughs> Would you mind just doing like a really brief history of who you are and what you, what you're doing? Of course, happy to. So uh, I am a commercial real estate refugee. I worked for well, I was a journalist covering commercial real estate, and then worked for a publicly traded real estate developer based in Atlanta called Cousins Properties. We are the CEO of Cousins, my boss, uh, and the CEO of Georgia Pacific, the uh, enormous uh, paper and products company, they drank too much one night and decided that they needed to help spearhead the saving of Grady Health System, Grady Hospital, which is the downtown safety net hospital in Atlanta. Uh, All of Emory University's uh, School of Medicine uh, students and faculty work there. It it is an incredibly important place. And that's how I got into healthcare. So I was uh, effectively gifted (laughs) to Grady as part of the business community 
uh, rescue. We were successful in doing that, which is probably remains the sort of single biggest accomplishment of my career in my mind. Um, but after that, I went to Piedmont Healthcare, which at the time was a four hospital system based here in Atlanta uh, with its flagship hospital um, in Buckhead, in, in the Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta. Piedmont is now 20 something hospitals uh, and the largest health system in the state of Georgia. When I, I left Piedmont in 2019 uh, to join CityMD and Summit Health, which is a private equity backed merger of two healthcare companies. Uh, one, the largest urgent care company in the New York metropolitan area. The other, one of the largest independent, meaning non-system affiliated uh, physician groups in the country. And that uh, worked there for, I have worked there for a little over three and a half years. Um, and we were acquired by Village MD, which your listeners are probably aware of, a, a Walgreens backed primary care and value-based care company. Um, we were acquired by them in January. So exciting times and exciting things to come. But that's how I got from, from there to here. And, you know, that perspective is very useful in, in terms of the, what we're going to talk about today. Um, and particularly because there's a thread, you kind of underplayed this, but there's been a thread in your career, which is reshaping the healthcare experience around the consumer, mm-hmm. putting the consumer first. Uh, I think the common term that we've talked about is consumer centricity. That's been sort of the drum you've been beating since I've known you. And, and, and I've come to appreciate that that theme from you and learned a lot from you in that regard. I, I guess I want to start off by first asking you, consumer centricity, we've been talking about this for years. Why has it been so hard for us to realize this? I feel like a failure, I guess. I don't like, I haven't done enough, Chris. I haven't done enough. No, so I joined Piedmont in 2011, and I uh, naively believed that, of course, uh, healthcare will be consumer centric. It is a business that literally everyone touches, right? We have to um, have built our processes, our, our offerings, whatever around what the customer needs and found out really quickly that that wasn't the case um, at Piedmont or really anywhere else that where I talked to people about it. Um, so yeah, I'd say since 2012, at the very least, I've been banging this drum and, and really trying to focus it and it's two, it was two things, right? One, I'm in charge of marketing. I have been in every organization where I've worked. And, and because of that, um, I do tend to think of consumer marketing strategies and tactics as an important part of this consumerism, quote unquote, uh, approach in healthcare. But where we really need to be focused is on the experience itself, right? Is It is how do we build our services um, around what the customer needs from us and not what we need from them? And that idea, because it is so much harder to make progress with, and because there are so many different uh, areas of influence inside any large health system, that's a big, big challenge. Whereas the consumer marketing piece took off pretty quickly. And you and I were talking previously that I have some regrets about being such a champion for that because it is an enormous waste of money for the most part in most health systems. 
to, for these big brand campaigns and this idea because your brand really is in a health system in particular, your brand really is nothing more than the sum of a patient's experiences with your system. That's your brand. Your brand is what people think of you. Your brand is not what you say about yourself. Um, and it's not the, the billboards, the TV ads, the sports sponsorships and all of that. So what has happened in a lot of health systems as people have adopted these uh, consumer marketing approaches that make them look and feel like they're competing with Bud Light for mind share of the customer, but have neglected to actually build their experience approaches, their digital front door approach, the, all the places where people interact with your system, they've neglected to actually address the true pain points of the consumer Many of them succeed despite that or in spite of that because their hospital is the only game in town. Their doctors who work for the hospital are the same. And, and, um, and also that uh, because they're nonprofit health systems, the uh, financial demands on their system are much lower than what they would be in the private sector. It's interesting that you say that. I almost feel like sometimes consumer marketing is the tail wagging the dog. And sometimes mm -hmm. the dog is not as pretty as you, we want it to be. Right? It's not that approachable, if I can extend that metaphor in a bad way. I've done a lot of work in other avenues around user experience design. And when you talk about user experience design, again, a very much uh, sort of a, uh, something that uh, is not inherent to us in, in the healthcare space, you really do get to understand what your consumer wants and you design solutions around them. And I'm not right. saying that we don't, we don't do that in healthcare, but I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes it feels like there's only so much we can redesign about the experience. An emergency department is an emergency department, right? An orthopedics department is an orthopedics department. It's like there's not a lot of transformation you can do. I think that's absolutely true in broad strokes. Now, the, what we did at Piedmont, which is a replicable model in my mind, is we started with experience design. We started with um, understanding our customers by talking to them and then also understanding our customers' experiences by talking to uh, our staff and, and teams that serve the customers. And we built, uh, along with our, our partners, uh, consulting firm, um, we built a design. We understood the pain points and tried to really address the major issues. And what you figure out when you put yourself in the shoes of the consumer is that you can't possibly address all of them. But generally speaking, and this is probably true at your system, and certainly true at Piedmont and other places I've worked, the care experience itself is seen pretty positively by your patients. Right? Most of them will give five stars to the docs and, and praise the nurses. They may complain about the weight in their uh, office, but mostly they're pretty happy. The major pain points in a health system tend to be, and really in any healthcare provider business, tend to be access to care and billing. Those are the places where people have the biggest problem. Um, and so at Piedmont, we had a full design called the Piedmont Way. Where we started was we need online scheduling and other ways to access care, particularly on the low acuity side, particularly on the primary care and other uh, similar approaches. And then we need to completely redo the way the patient pays his or her bill. Simple as that. Make it simple. Make it easy. Um, put all their bills in the same place. All the things that 
you would do with any other service provider. That's the, the big opportunity for health systems still today. I've seen this proliferation of the chief consumer officer title, which immodestly was my title at Piedmont before there were chief consumer officers. I've seen this happen, but I'm interested legitimately at sort of how people are, are moving along this continuum because it's, it's really challenging. But if you focus on these, the, the most important pain points, um, you can really make progress. Whereas if you try to look at the journey in totality, you can get super daunted at the idea of doing anything. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. The conversation in our industry has shifted a little bit about consumerism, and it's it really has now become more about disruption coming from outside the industry, kind of coming in to uh, to our space. And that's in part because we've seen a lot of these big brands kind of coming through that are cons- quote-unquote consumer-centric brands that are trying to take a bite out of the healthcare industry, thinking they can do better. Let me first ask you this. Do you think disruption is coming from within our industry, outside of our industry, or a combination of both? What's your perspective on that? The only disruption, useful disruption that I have seen, and, and really positive disruption, things that result in something better for patients, better for systems, um, has come from, it may not come from a health system or a healthcare provider, but it certainly came from a business uh, inside the healthcare ecosystem, like right? 100%. Um, I think the idea that these big technology companies like Amazon, Apple, or uh, retailers like Walmart or Dollar General, the idea that they would do something that is going to significantly alter the way the rest of us do business uh, in healthcare is laughable. And there's been no progress. There's been no proven results. All we have are a bunch of people who get breathless every time another press release comes out about Walmart opening 45 more health clinics in three years. It's hard to take people seriously. But when I question them, they double down on the seriousness. So I guess they mean it, um, that they really do think that that's significant. This big brand jock sniffing, as I've called it previously, <laughs> is ridiculous. All it serves is, is, is a distraction because the people who are pushing it are not people who work in healthcare providers, right? They're not people who actually touch the patient, but they do occasionally get the attention of people who don't know enough about it to know 
but who get excited as well. And I get the excitement generally, like, ooh, Google Health, ooh, that must be something important. Um, no, and Google's, I mean, incredibly important in the lives of uh, healthcare providers uh, like us, but only in, that's where our customers go to look for us. And so right. <laughs> that's why right. Google's important. Now, I will say this, because I think it's important. Uh, well, two things. One, uh, Walgreens and, CB- and CVS in particular, I think they can play here. CVS, because of the Aetna piece in particular, um, along with their massive prescription management business, um, they have tons of room to play in healthcare and, and make a really positive difference for customers. Now, is Oak Street the way to do it? I, I, I'm not so sure, but I wouldn't discount CVS's chances at all. And then, I mean, what am I going to say about Walgreens? They are still the majority owner of the company that just acquired us. I have always thought that the the big uh, pharmacy chains, for lack of a better term, have a natural fit with healthcare, but they're going to have to put doctors in the building. And Walgreens was doing that with Village. When I worked at Piedmont, we ran all of the Walgreens clinics in Metro Atlanta. Mm. And it was a nurse practitioner model. So it was a mid-level model. And certain ones of them were more popular than others, but none of them made money. Right? None of them were successful. And it, that just sort of goes back to the, the way that patients tend to think about the care that they need and get. So anyway, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but other than to say, I think Walgreens and CVS can do it. And I would not lump them in with these other folks who have no real attachment to healthcare, um, have no real experience in healthcare, and are still, I think for somebody like Walmart um, or Dollar General, they may just have more real estate than they need, and they're trying to figure out what the hell to do with it. Yeah, it could very well be. But they also see that they have an incredible amount of foot traffic and potentially loyal customers, right, that come through the door. And so they're kind of exploring that way. I also look at like what the Target CVS partnership is an interesting model. But what Target did is they didn't say we're going to co-partner. It's basically like they're they're renting out space with CVS, right? And that's an interesting partnership. For me, when I look at like Walmart and Dollar General and others, I'm just wondering like, what what are they trying to do? Are they trying to extend the sort of that retail model into healthcare? No, what they're doing is seeing if they can capture more dollars from the people who are loyal to them for their low prices. But the truth of the matter is healthcare is not an impulse purchase. You can't expect for those customers to just, oh, uh, yeah, I guess my, my arm does hurt. I'll stop it. And do that. It's just not healthcare services are a destination. They're a decision that people make when they have a need. And if they think of them like that, then what they need is scale. What Walmart needs, because I'm not trying to discourage, nor would Walmart ever listen to me anyway, but I wouldn't try to discourage Walmart or another retailer from opening clinics in their stores. Go for it. I think it's good, good for you and your communities if you can provide a service that people need. In order for them to do it, they're going to have to have more than 75, which is what they're saying they're going to have in two years. That's silly. Healthcare as, a, as an industry is far too large to be impacted by 75 clinics in Walmarts uh, around the entire country. If they're really going to do it. They have to really do it. Um, sometimes I think 
they think they can just talk about it and get a little bit of a bump, right? Get people sort of paying attention and possibly excited about it. But the, uh, I'm just not sure that it's going to pay off for them because I don't think any of them, Google, Amazon, that whole Haven nonsense, none of them are ready to commit at the scale required uh, in order to actually disrupt this business. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Let's talk about one of those high-tech companies, because you mentioned a couple, right? Google, Amazon. Amazon Care is certainly making a play. I think they're taking the, they're writing the coattails of like a PBM. They're, they're get, trying to get in the space of saying, we could, we'll take what we, flex what we have, right? We could deliver well. We have the good supply chain management. We can add on the care options and they just launch Amazon Care. Have you, have you played around with that platform yet? A little bit. I'm not a big believer in virtual medicine, most importantly. All of these other pill mill businesses like Hens and Hers and other folks are getting smacked around by the government and will continue to get smacked around um, by the government because it's not good medicine. And, you know, that's easy for me to say as a, as a non-physician uh, or clinician, but it's like, to me, and I, I made this point last year during a talk with, um, with our mutual friend, Chris Bevelo, guys, you know what Amazon wants from you, right? Like everybody knows what Amazon wants from you. They, they want to extract uh, money. That's it. There is not a thing altruistic about that business. Right? They don't have a commitment to make the world a better place, guys. They will get into healthcare when they can successfully figure out how to make a buck out of it. Drugs is a great way to do that. I think that's a, a good direction, but there's a lot of regulatory hurdles to, to, to do it well. But the whole asynchronous texting as a doctor visit, like that, that is a thing that may be really important when today's uh, 20 and 30 year olds become tomorrow's 40 and 50 year olds. But in today's environment, um, especially as we have this big group of boomers aging into Medicare and to, into chronic care, the whole video visit, asynchronous texting thing, all of that, it's just, it's not time, right? It's, it's not what they want. Uh, I've read survey after survey, people um, in that age group actually continue to rate the healthcare system above fair, like only 12% rated fair or poor. The rest of them are like, yeah, it's good enough. I'm not saying that we should only strive for good enough, but I do think it's telling and it's, and it's pretty important to the way we think about this, that most of our customers are still okay with it. They're still okay with it. Um, and I'm not saying be said, be, be uh, satisfied with that. But what I'm saying is don't go to the bleeding edge. It's also duly noted, right, that that hims, hers, Amazon care, all of that stuff, that is pretty much the bubblegum on the checkout of healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's, you're talking about things like, you know, hair, hair thinning medication and other things like that. The other side that I'm kind of, I'm one, I would love to get your opinion on, though, is telemedicine. I know you're, you're not a big fan of it. 
but in the in the application of behavioral health, because I think that is potentially an, a solution there that's that's struggling to be found right now. But it's one that certainly is a, a, a big concern for our industry. What's your perspective on that? I recognize that the lack of mental health services. I saw it firsthand um, working in a health system. The lack of available mental health services is a societal issue that we have got to grapple with, right? We've got to deal with the shortfall um, because of the way it's affecting so many people's lives in so many different ways, not just in acute care settings like emergency departments. And so if this, is a, uh, if this acts as, a, as a, um, an extender of those services, so in the few places in the country where there are enough mental health care providers, if we can get them via virtual visit to places that need it, I think that's a wonderful idea. I hope that there are successful companies um, who are able to pull, pull that off. And so it seems like a, a, a good use of, of, of the platform, but we've had all of these providers uh, around for a while now and I'm waiting for somebody to declare victory and haven't heard that yet either. So I don't know what's what the problem is. Is it still is it reimbursement? Is it is there a, a money issue or is there some other way? Is it still just an overall shortage of services that I don't know? But I think that's a there are as a as a critic of virtual care or video visits generally. I will say this: there are things like uh, mental health and also extending specialty care into communities that um, where it doesn't make financial sense to have a doctor full-time. That makes total sense. I think those, the combination of a, a, a nurse, a doctor on the phone, maybe some devices, I think all of that makes a lot of sense um, in order to provide specialty care in places where it's not easily available. But I think the, the what we've seen mostly or what we saw, I should say, the big spike with Doctor on Demand and, and Teladoc early on, where everybody got super excited about this, myself included, mid 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 2010s, everybody's just super excited um, about it. And then we put the, sh- oh, I can say that. So we put the shit out there <laughs> and then nobody used it, right? Doctor on Demand was buying every single customer practically, right? They were giving free, they were giving free visits away and having to pay for every customer almost, we all put the, the thing out there and nobody wanted it. Um, and then uh, it stayed that way, right? And some, uh, some consolidation inside the virtual visit industry, the little mini industry. And then COVID happened and everybody got excited about it again. And rightfully so. We did at CityMD. We were the New York area's largest urgent care, walk-in business only. And we we're like, hey, you can't walk in right now. So please call us. What we found is that on-demand virtual visits still didn't do very well. But you know what did do incredibly well? Scheduled virtual visits with your doctor, right? With a face that you know. At one point, we were 70% of our, of our physician practice business was, on, was a virtual visit at one point during the early parts of COVID. We were seeing seven, eight, nine thousand patients a day <laughs> on FaceTime, the Amwell platform, all the different platforms that we were using to try to see patients and provide care um, because people were afraid to leave the house. Um, and that made total sense. 
Um, but as you and I discussed earlier, that's starting to go the other way now, right? And, and once CMS says, we're not going to pay for that like it's a real visit anymore, then healthcare providers are not going to offer that as an option. Right. Which is pretty simple. Right. I think that's going to be a, a key point in the, in the continued life or, or journey of virtual care and how it exists is what happens when healthcare providers don't want to do it anymore. You know, we've been talking about this and about consumer centricity and healthcare and all of this. We we really haven't talked about what consumers want at the center of all this. So let's end our conversation today about this. What role does the consumer have in all of this? Because in uh, my vantage point, what I'm seeing is the consumer is, I, and I mean this in the in gentlest of terms, they're relatively erratic when it comes to how they consume care, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go, uh, emergent needs, uh, obviously, they're very clear. They know what to do, right? If there's an emergent need, they go to an urgent care, an ED, or even their primary care at times, if they have access to it. Tell me a little bit about, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Matt. Is the consumer meeting us where we're at when we're thinking about consumer centricity? I mean, do they have a choice? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> that's the, um, for better or worse, we, and that's what's funny about all the noise around consumerism generally, is it ignores the fact that choice isn't a thing that most healthcare uh, patients, most healthcare, healthcare consumers, choice is not a thing they exercise. This isn't Walgreens and CVS across the street from each other battling for every prescription, for every toilet paper purchase. This is typically, in most communities, a fairly inelastic uh, consumer, where the barriers to change are, are fairly significant, and so they don't want to do it. So here's what I know for sure. And part of the reason I joined CityMD in Summit, I joined that merger, um, is because CityMD was understood, and, and I saw it firsthand, as the best-run urgent care company in the country. Simple as that. And that's why I joined them, because I love healthcare that is closest to the consumer, that's all I've ever wanted, Chris. It's just get care <laughs> closer to the people who need the care. Um, and that's what urgent cares do. Payers can complain. The government can, People can complain about the way it gets paid for and is it, a, is it cost too much uh, per visit, et cetera. I think there's a, there's a legitimate debate around some of the aspects of urgent care. But what I know for sure is that urgent care is the only actual retail health care that exists today. Right. right. Like it, at scale, it is not inside of a Walgreens. It is not inside of a CVS. It is not certainly inside of a Walmart or a Dollar General, for God's sake. It is um, in that, that retail like location where you can walk in and get seen um, at a city MD, at least in and out in 30 minutes. You've seen me talk about the funnel, right? The acuity funnel of healthcare, sort of my idea of the way healthcare works. Mm hmm. At the top of that acuity funnel is low acuity, lower acuity, so less emergent needs. They maybe may feel urgent to the customer, but they're treatable in a retail setting. And I think of it pretty much as the fast food of healthcare. It's like I need uh, assured quality at a price I can afford, which you know with health insurance is mostly covered, and at a speed because I need it done now because I need to get back to what I'm doing. Right? Nope. Nobody goes to McDonald's because it is the best food. They go to McDonald's because they got those three things together. And what urgent care, when run well, can do is deliver the consumer the experience that they actually want. And so in a place like New York, where people are densely packed together, 
you can really operate at scale. And during the years of COVID, that CityMD, we were seeing as many as 6 million patient visits a year. How many patient visits do your, does your health system do, right? How many patient visits does Piedmont do in a year um, or Providence or whoever? We're seeing patients at a level that most organizations can't really comprehend. And yes, it's in part because it is the most densely populated urban area in the country that is a large part of it. But the other part of it is our urgent cares, especially during uh, the height of COVID, um, would see on average 110, 120 patients a day. But that's what the people want. And so if we're truly claiming to be consumer-centric, why aren't health systems giving customers what they want? That's what they want. They want to be seen now. They don't want to have to pre-plan it. They want to wake up, have a headache, go to the doctor, get it solved. Yes, it may turn into a more complicated journey than that, but most of them aren't more complicated than that. And that's what they want. So why can't we give them that? Why don't we give them that? That's the, to me, all the other stuff is noise. It's a distraction. Correct. I get what you're saying exactly. And I have a feeling that, you know, seven years from now on the next time we invite you on the podcast, (laughs) not that's been that long, this will still be a a topic of conversation. And because unfortunately it's so difficult. It's evolving. It's our understanding of it is evolving. Everything is evolving. In my most generous moments, that's what I'll say to the uh, jock sniffers is that that it's all evolving and our understanding of the way that the business works is evolving. But what we know for sure right now is that if, if you have well-run urgent cares, you win. And most health systems don't have that and can win anyway because nobody expects them to make more than 1% or 2% profit. But in the real world, urgent cares really are where consumer-centric healthcare is happening. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves from here. Matt, I always love just chatting with you about this, and I'm so glad that you you were able to get some time for us to talk today about this. Um, I appreciate your perspective tremendously, and in rolling up our sleeves and just trying to figure out our way through is really the the calling here. Reed, although he can join us today in this conversation, is is here in spirit as well. we're, we're trying to get there. We're trying to make it work. As we close out today, Matt, we're going to link to your LinkedIn. What other things say, you know, should we be keeping an eye out? The short answer on um, sort of what's next is obviously I can be reached on LinkedIn at any point. So thank you for, for directing people in that way. I will be at the HMPS uh, conference in Austin where I'll be on a couple of different, but uh, one a panel and, and doing a presentation with Brian Gresh, but also around and talking to people and catching up and, and sort of interested in, in what other people are, are working on. One of the interesting things about this journey is that we'll never really uh, get to the finish line <laughs> because the perfection in this is uh, nearly impossible, but the pursuit of it is a lot of fun. I'm so glad that you and you and I are both in the same pursuit. It does make the journey more fun, right? Um, And ultimately, as we're positively impacting people's lives, that's what it's all about. So, Matt, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. It's always great to talk with you.
Great episode. Uh, Chris, I'm glad y'all had a chance to sit down and visit a little bit uh, here real recently. So a lot happening in the industry between you know the announcements with One Medical, for example, and Amazon and uh, Village MD and just all the stuff that we continue to see. And so it's, it's great to kind of get his vantage point again, having been, uh, you know, having seen this from a couple different angles over the last handful of years. So really appreciative of, of Matt and his time and willingness to come on the show and uh, excited to see him in person here before too terribly long at the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Summit. Top of the show, you heard me mention the TPS report over at touchpoint.health. Uh, besides the five articles to start your week, a couple of links to co- upcoming conferences. So Chris, you and I will obviously be in Austin as well. And we'll talk more about that over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to that conference. Uh, but anyway, Matt will be there as well. So if you're going to make it uh, out, uh, you can uh, you can see all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to those, those of us who are going to be in Austin. We'll be out and about, and uh, you and I will be there as well, Reed. We're going to be recording a live podcast episode like we always do at this conference on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we'll provide more details as they're forthcoming. But if you see us, make sure to reach out and say hello. Let us know what you think about the show, maybe offer some ideas, and who knows, maybe uh, we'll even get you to uh, speak a few words about uh, your thoughts, but what some of the things that you think are very important to feature in a future episode. Well, wonderful episode. Before we get out of here, a couple of recommendations. Uh, What do you got today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that just released season three, and that's The Mandalorian. Have you watched The Mandalorian yet? I have not. I have not. I've only seen the original three Star Wars. You know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I kind of watch everything Star Wars. So I guess I'm kind of, that's where my nerd background comes from. But um, The Mandalorian, as you probably uh, remember, uh, has been out for a couple of seasons. Features a guy that's in an armor, a Mandalorian, obviously, and the little baby Yoda, which everybody knows, the little baby Yoda, right? Um, that's right. Actual name is Grogu, but I won't get into that. They're back for a third season. And I tell you, it's just so delightful. And what I like about it, this series, it very much encapsulates sort of that spirit of Star Wars of the original series, where it appeals both to adults and to the younger generation, to the kids, so they can get interested and involved in it. Just fun. Lots of great humor. Great animation with the little baby Yoda. Lots of humor and, uh, you know, kind of extends the whole mythos of Star Wars. So for those of you who maybe have been kind of a casual observers like you read um, with Star Wars, if you ever are interested in coming back to the Star Wars universe, uh, I really recommend The Mandalorian. It's now just started season three. It's a lot of fun. That's my recommendation. There you go. I am going to recommend a website, Autotempest, autotempest.com. They're not a sponsor of the show. If they'd like to be, you know, reach out. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a son that is uh, closing in on uh, 16 years old and uh, looking to drive a car. And so anyway, been on Autotempest looking at vehicles. And what it is, is really a search engine for all the search engines, you know, kind of a thing, right? So you've got all these sites on the internet where people list cars, cars.com, auto trader, eBay, you know, all, all the places, Carvana, you know, et cetera. Well, instead of having to hop around between all those different sites, so if I'm looking for a truck, looking for an F-150, I can go to Auto Tempest, put in all the parameters, years, mileage, you know, all, all the things uh, that I'm interested in. 
uh, you can get super, super granular, you know, transmission type, you know, as far as, you know, manual, automatic, you know, color, interior color, you know, all, all, you know, all the things. And, uh, and it'll query all of those sites. And so really it's just kind of an aggregated uh, way to search all of the car listing sites at once. And so anyway, um, if you like cars and just like to kind of peruse the internet, um, I know a lot of people do that with real estate. Um, but if you like to do that with cars, it's a great way to do it. There's a lot of uh, YouTubers out there uh, that like to make videos around, you know, I bought the cheapest Ferrari in the country, you know, or whatever, you know, those types yeah. of things. Well, they're yeah. using this site to do that, ah. right? So they're just querying and they're saying nationwide search, sort by, you know, lowest to highest as far as price. And Auto Tempest does sponsor a lot of those guys that do those things. But um, anyway, it's a great site. It's a good UI and it's, it's just really handy. It's a time saver for sure. So if you're looking for your next car, if you're uh, just like cars and want to just see what's out there and you know, what stuff is going for. If you're thinking about even trading locally, you just want to kind of get an idea of what the market is for your particular vehicle you're trading in. Good website, autotempest.com. So that's my, my recommendation. That's really cool. I wasn't familiar with that before you mentioned it. And I'm going to definitely check that out. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. I, uh, who who isn't in the mood to buy the cheapest Ferrari in the United States, right? Yeah, I know. I know. It's a little dangerous. You're like, ooh, that's cool. Like, you know. <laughs> So anyway, anyway, go check it out. All right. Well, there you go. Another episode in the books. Uh, again, special thanks to Matt for coming on a special edition of Touchpoint. Not a special edition like in the sense of like, you know, family ties in the 80s. Like this is a special episode, you know, kind of. Like <laughs> a very special episode. <laughs> Similar, but not really, but kind of. Uh, but anyway, special thanks to Matt. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.